Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... I actually met my wife on CatholicSingles.com, if you can believe that. Really? And about Yes, I had never done that before. Didn't have any problems with dating. Natalie and Aaron met on CatholicSingles.com after they realized that they needed to find someone who shared their faith. Meet other faithful Catholics on the original Catholic dating site. Download our app today for free. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com. Dot app slash breadbox. Hello and welcome to Touching the Sunrise podcast. I am Sister Catherine Holmes, author of Surviving Depression, A Catholic Approach, and Reclaim Regret, How God Heals Life's Disappointments, and Spiritual Guide in the Heartwork Program, which specializes in helping people walk the road of spiritual growth and inner healing. For the past 10 years, I have been walking alongside wonderful women and men who want a more heart-centered and spiritual life, but would like support along the way through online programs, groups, and one-on-one spiritual guidance. I walk with people along a contemplative and healing path, one that has been trodden for thousands of years. Basically, I'm here to help you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, who has come to make your being the throne of the Holy Trinity, so that your life, your prayer, your relationships, your dreams and goals will most deeply satisfy the desires of your heart. You can find out more about me and what God has led me to do in the world by visiting my website, touchingthesunrise.com. Hello and welcome to Touching the Sunrise podcast. Here we are in actually our sixth podcast of the series that we have been doing on depression. And Jeanette is with me again. Hi, Sister Catherine. And the the podcast actually accompanies the book, uh, the new book, Surviving Depression, A Catholic Approach, in its third edition. Which is very exciting. It has been translated already into 12 languages in the years that it has been out. But in this third edition, we've done a lot of updating and uh, adding a lot of exercises and tools because we found those to be really helpful for people, not just to read about things, but to have the tools to work through things themselves. Let's talk a little bit about the cover, sister, because it is so beautiful. I I love the cover. Um, I didn't choose it. Um, So whoever chose it, I'm really, really grateful for. They've done a great job. The cover, if you haven't seen it yet, 
is actually a country road, and to the left of the country road, there seems to be an arid, dry, um, unwatered area. So the it's almost desert-like.、Mm-hmm. And to the right of the country road, there is、um, fullness of grass. There are f- almost flower, little flowers. It just is alive and healthy and well and watered. And the beautiful thing is that even across that country road, the two of them are coming together. The life of the grass is is actually beginning to take root in the middle of that country road and to creep over into the left. Side where where it's still desert and dry and dark and arid, and the the ground is almost broken up. It's so dry, and as you look forward, you can almost not see where this road ends, except for it's clear that it ends in light. There's a beautiful、um, element of of sun. I don't know if it's a sunrise, but it's it's almost like a glow. It's almost like a glory. That's shining equally、mm-hmm. into、um, both the the darker, the drier areas of the path, and to the right, the areas that are full of life and greenery. And I think what we've been talking about in our six podcasts, seen through the life of Mary, is that the light is always shining. The glory of God is always present, and it's always present within us. Um, we we are not defined by the diagnosis or the labels or our experiences through depression or darkness or those things that are the precipitating factors. It may be a divorce. It may be、um, trauma when we were a child. It could be、um, a financial disaster. Whatever it may be, illness,、um, midlife crisis, whatever it may be. Those things don't define us. So even if we are experiencing ourselves to the left of this country road, where things are drier and darker,、um, it's almost it's almost as if the sun is shining more on the left side. We have to remember that the glory of God is shining not only above us,、um, but within us, and from within us out into the world. There's some way in which our experience of the darkness can become a gift to the world, a vocation, because it forces us to go deeper. It forces us to really look and live and choose and love. We can't just fall into、um, joy, fall into meaning in our life. We have to make a conscious choice in a difficult situation. Well, I hope that you've been following along with us throughout these podcasts、um, and this this lovely series. But as Sister Catherine said, what we've been doing is looking at depression through this lens of these different events in Mary's life. And we started this series with a an exceptionally beautiful, almost icon,、um, iconographic sort of of painting. Um, of the deposition, we moved on to the Annunciation, the Visitation, the Nativity, the, the Marriage at Cana, and now today we're back to the deposition because we really did want to come full circle in looking at not only how Mary dealt with dark times in her life, but what we can learn from her and take from her、um, in all these different events of her life. And sort of translate them into our own lives as well. There are many images of 
the crucifixion or the death of Christ that we could have chosen. But when we were looking through these images, we chose this one by Ugolino Di Nerio. Um, from t- he lived from 1280 to 1330. The, the reason why we chose the image, though, is because almost because of the attentiveness that is um, depicted in this, uh, in the way that Jesus is lowered by Joseph of Arimathea into the arms of his mother. So if you're not able to look at it, I'll describe it briefly here. Joseph of Arimathea has his um, one of his hands over the crossbeam, and with his other arm, he has it under the body of the Lord. Um, the Apostle John is, is encircling the Lord's body with his arms. Mary is reaching up and almost holding that um, the face, the head of her son, and with such gentleness and tenderness. And Jesus' arms are, are reaching out. He, he's just, all, you can see his lifelessness there. And Mary Magdalene is holding one of those hands. And she's almost kissing that hand. So <clears throat> it's, a, it's a marvelous image of connection, of of. I would always say joy. It's not joy as in happiness. It's a sense of that joy that comes from everybody holding together each other. Right. Support. 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 And that inner space of peace that comes when people are, are, are reaching out to each other and finding even in those darker moments that there is meaning, that there is life, even if at that moment they couldn't see it. Right. So, as, as we've been saying throughout this series, there are connections here for not only those of us who, who have struggled with or are struggling with depression, but for those of us who have a friend or family member who is as well. And... Um, and so to, to interpret these images and to look at Mary's life in the light of the things that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, we thought was really important. I think one of the important things that I've gotten out of this conversation is how both Mary and Jesus made themselves vulnerable. You would think of the mother of God, the son of God, they could go through life with power and health and knowing everything they needed to do and having everything work out for them. But in reality, in the mystery of salvation history, they, they became very vulnerable, vulnerable to life, vulnerable to other people and their decisions and how it affected them. Herod's decision meant that Mary and Joseph had to escape to Egypt for maybe seven years. Um, so they were not in control. And we as human beings, we want to be in control. It of makes course. us feel safe. Mm-hmm. But they chose not to be in control. And in that uh, vulnerability, the mysteries of salvation played themselves out. We can even see as we look at this deposition image, you know, Jesus shed tears in his life. He died as an apparent failure. 
Um, he left the earth. Only John is here, the apostle. He left the earth with only a handful of followers. And everybody except for John had deserted him. Um, as Jesus hung on the cross, he really had only his trust in his father as his only possession. Um, and Jesus, Jesus made our tears sacred because he cried. He knows and he knew the agony and the frustration of our problems He chose to bear all that is human. And as a man with our human nature, he brought us with him on his return to the Father. So we can all say that the one who sits at the right hand of God knows what it is to weep. He knows what it is to weep. And he preached an upside-down world in which the poor are the ones who are privileged the marginalized, the suffering, and those who agonize through emotional pain, these are the first, the guests of honor and the privileged. But we all know that the vulnerability of depression doesn't feel holy. No. doesn't feel holy. It feels like hell sometimes. And there seems to be no light toward which to walk. Um, There seems to be no option. So how is it that we can pray in times like this? How do we find that, uh, that sacredness in our lives when everything seems to be going wrong, when we feel isolated and alone and in the dark, and as Jesus felt, abandoned almost by God? One of the things that I really keep coming back to in your book is um, the simplicity of it, that one senses, oh, in order to connect with God, I need to say a whole lot of prayers, or I have to go to a whole lot of masses, or um, what do I do when I'm depressed and I don't feel like doing those things? And I love the fact that you bring this simplicity into the process, Mm -hmm. so that sometimes it's enough to just think the name of Jesus, to just hold the Bible in your hands, Mm -hmm. um, to just go for a walk and be in God's nature, Mm -hmm. that these are ways that are just as wonderful as doing the things that we think of as being quote-unquote holy. Mm -hmm. Even this this conversation that we've had on these images, that's a wonderful way to pray. Exactly. You can find so many images on the internet to find an image that really speaks to you as this image of the de- of Jesus being lowered from the cross into the arms of his mother. There's so much to this image that touches me on a very deep level, not intellectually, but on my heart level. I can almost feel myself being lowered into the arms of Mary. You know, I can almost feel myself receiving the body of Jesus. I can almost feel myself next to Mary as she kisses the hands of Jesus. And um, that's a wonderful way to pray. You don't have to say any words. You don't have to think anything. You don't have to do anything right. right. You can just have that picture there and look at it and allow the picture almost to speak to you, you know, to listen to what that picture is speaking to you. And to hear it with your heart. You don't have to hear it in your brain because your brain is already having enough to cope with if you're feeling depressed. 
um, if you're experiencing depression. Your brain is probably vacillating between 100 miles a minute and feeling like it's moving through cotton. So don't don't involve your brain. Involve mm-hmm. your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, sit with an image. Sit with a crucifix. Sit with an icon. Mm-hmm. Um, or as I said, s- sit outside mm-hmm. um, and just be. Just mm-hmm. feel God filling your heart. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to do. And it can... It can be really hard just to sit. Absolutely. <laughs> you I'm can, not you can feel that. agitated and mm-hmm. nervous and anxious and jumpy. And, and how long do I just sit here? I want to get out of here. And one of the things you can do while you're sitting is really just pay attention to your breathing. Going in, your breathing going out. And say, I just have to sit here for this breath. I'm just going to sit here for this next breath. And I'm just going to sit here for another breath. I was speaking to a lovely sister yesterday, and she was talking about her cat. Her cat's name is Chip. And how much she has learned about prayer from her cat, Chip. So the cat will come up to her, it's a people cat, to come up to her room when she's working there and jump up on the bed and just curl up in the sunshine and just lie down and fall asleep. Because the cat just wants to be in her presence. Right. It just wants to be with her. And if the sunshine is there, that's great. But even if the sunshine is not there and it's raining outside, Chip will still come up, jump on the bed, and just to be in her presence. And prayer is about being in the presence of God. We're always in God's presence. We really can't escape God's presence. The very fact that we're alive means that God is is loving us into existence. We can't escape God. But in our minds, we think we're separated from God. So these moments when we, we intentionally just put ourselves into this sacred space, whatever it may be for you, are really powerful moments of just being with God. I was reading something the other day, and it was saying, going back to um, the Gospel of John, the vine and the branches. You know, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And sometimes we think, well, I'm just a branch, and, and Jesus is the vine, and the vine is the main thing, and I'm just a branch, and I'm not a very strong branch, and right now I feel like a branch that's falling apart. Um, but the reality is, when you look at a plant, the branch doesn't assume that it's anything other than the vine. It doesn't say, I'm a branch, and I'm stuck to the vine here. It's all one thing. I'm part of the whole. It's part of the whole. I am part of the vine. Mm-hmm. I'm part of the vine. And the vine's um, life, its sap, all the... I'm not a biologist, all the photosynthesis or whatever processes happen for that branch to bear fruit is all the result of what's coming from the roots to the vine, through the branch, to the fruit, or to the leaves. You are part of the vine. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are Christ. You are, um, you are a part of that vine. And so, you know, I think also a farmer or a vineyard, a person who grows in a vineyard, he doesn't say, well, actually, I have um, uh, 35 
vines, and I have um, 3,600 branches, and I have about 30,000 grapes. <laughs> he, he looks at it as a whole. So the Heavenly Father, who is the vine grower, looks at everything as a whole. And even when the branch is having a little trouble, and even when the branch is not that healthy, it's still a part of the vine. And we all know a plant will do everything it can to bring life to the branch that most needs help, right? you know? And, and so Jesus is bringing as much as he can. He's, he's doing work overtime. If, if your branch is having a little trouble, but we need to know that we still are part of that vine. We still are connected to God. And one of the ways, I mean, I, I think of the branch coming into the vine and, and that physical connection um, <clears throat> that we have to, to the body of Christ, to the community of faith. And that's one of the things that I, I when I've experienced um, a lot of anxiety, it's that tactile coming back to God that has mm-hmm. been helpful to touch a rosary, to just hold the rosary. You don't have mm-hmm. to say the rosary, just hold the beads, mm-hmm. to touch um, scripture, mm-hmm. to touch a cross, mm-hmm. um, to have that physical connection that somehow reminds all of the nerves in our bodies that there is this connection. Yes. Um, in a previous episode, we talked a little bit uh, about the similarity with electricity, that there's mm-hmm. that, that current flowing through us mm-hmm. and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 to keep that grounded. Yes, to sit in a church if, if that's available to you and that's helpful to you. And I know sometimes it can be very difficult for people who are suffering from depression or from anxiety to even, to sit in a mass, you know, to, um, to participate in the liturgy. But sometimes it's okay if all we can do is slip in the back door, in the back pew, and just sit there. And if we can't even get that far, drive our car up outside and sit in the car just to be close, just to be close to community, to connection, to grace. There are so many different ways of making that connection and of praying in the dark. That's a very good analogy. It is praying in the dark, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Singing Mm -hmm. in the darkness. I Mm -hmm. think you've also talked about Mm -hmm. that we've got this this connection that if we are able to reach for it um, in some way, it is there waiting for us. Mm -hmm. And we have to start singing in the darkness. We have to keep singing in the darkness. We don't feel like... Okay, I'm going to make a plan for my life when we're depressed. It's like, I don't feel even like getting out of bed. Roll over and that's it. Or I can just make it through the day to get to my job and to get back because the family's relying on my paycheck. That's all I can do. And even in whatever we can do, making that just that little internal connection to God, even if it's just holding a rosary bead, it's starting to sing in that yes, darkness. It is. It's giving another meaning to it. It's opening up a window. It's giving a little bit of fresh air. It's providing a little space for the Holy Spirit to come inside and to make something move 
for us, to surprise us, so that we really don't have to do it all by ourselves. But what we do need to do is open up a window to allow the Holy Spirit to have that space, to kind of have someone put a book somewhere, which we are going to pick up by accident, open up, read a sentence that's going to start us in a new direction, whatever it may be that the Holy Spirit uses to give us something new in the midst of our life, too, as we were talking about the cover of the book, to begin to grow, to let the grass grow in the midst of the desert. And then um, as we begin to move out of some of that deeper darkness, to keep singing in the darkness, it's so important to, as we learn some of these um, habits that have helped us, to kind of pick two or three that we're going to make a real plan for our life, you know, habits that we're going to keep that allow us to keep singing in the darkness, to allow the darkness to keep becoming more and more light. And when we have habits like that, that we've sort of taken on and, and own as our own, it means that we're ready for the next time. Mm-hmm. Because m- many of, of the mood disorders will co- be cyclical, <clears throat> will come back, you can see it coming, you can feel it coming. And you know then that you've got something. Yes. You've got almost an arsenal. You've got something that that is more than just saying, okay, it's going to happen now. Yes, yes. We're talking here about some practical ways Mm -hmm. in which we can pray. I'd like to share a personal experience here that helps us see the way God kind of steps in. I had to realize at a certain point that all the work I was doing to get things together and to learn about depression and put habits into my life, and they were all my attempts to fix it. My attempts to get my life together. My attempts to get rid of it so that I could live my life the way I wanted to. It was like taking tons and tons of vitamins for something I really needed surgery for. <laughs> and of course, we all know, everybody knows I love vitamins. So, but we all know we can't do surgery on ourselves, you know, so it's really helpful to take vitamins sometimes. But, um, but I had done all those things and I was in need of, of surgery. I was in need of the divine physician to come in to really bring some healing to my life. Um, And I speak of healing differently than I speak of cure, miraculous cure. And sometimes um, when we have that opportunity of of a retreat, um, of a day of recollection that may be offered at a retreat house or some kind of a group in our parish, it's really helpful to take advantage of that because it puts us into a different space. And this story that I want to share here was a story that happened on a retreat for me. Um, So, you know, over several days of prayer, it was an eight-day retreat, and I had been inspired really to pray with Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. So I pictured myself um, on the steps of some building in Jerusalem, watching this scene of Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate and his accusers. He was a silent man. He was sad. He was beaten in the midst of a loud and raucous crowd. 
Um, and I found myself feeling inside, how can you just stand there? Like, this is not going to be good. How can you just stand Defend there? Defend yourself. While everyone around you right. is calling for your death. How can you be so calm? Mm-hmm. How can you be so calm? So I placed myself into that crowd. I listened to what different people were saying about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I caught the noise and the anger. But I also could feel Jesus' calmness, this um, silent space of peace that he had in the midst of everything that was happening around me in that crowd. And I began to hear the words of Jesus that were silent, that he was saying from his heart quietly to that crowd. He was saying, yes, 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 Mary's yes, take me. Do what you want with me. My death will be your salvation. I could also see the Father hugging Jesus tightly. Give yourself over to them, he was saying to his son. He was supporting him, reassuring him. Give yourself to them. I can never let you go, no matter what happens. I am with you. You are safe in my arms. And I just sat with that. I could do nothing else. I just sat with that hug, feeling that hug with Jesus. And I realized after hours that the Father was within me as he was within Jesus. And he was also holding me and assuring me, do not be afraid. You are safe in my arms. So, Another day, as I was praying, I stood beneath the cross and I imagined myself with Mary Magdalene maybe sinking to the ground at the foot of the cross and kind of putting my back against the cross and facing out to to the crowd. I had promised Jesus that I would not leave him alone, and so I stood there. I stayed there keeping watch as everybody left. So I kept the cross before my eyes for hours, sitting there, alone, feeling the sorrow Mary must have felt as I asked her for the courage really just to stay near her son. And when I shared this with my retreat director, he said, hmm, it seems that perhaps God was bringing Jesus' experience together with my own experience of the stroke. I didn't quite know what that meant. But anyway, I left with that little piece of information. And as I left our meeting, I returned to the chapel. And for some reason, I just began to cry. And I cried for hours there in the back of the chapel with all the sisters in the front. (laughs) In prayer, the Eucharist was exposed. um, And scenes of my hospital stay started to come up. Um, this was like 17 years after. I was going to say after. that was many years later. It was many years after. I had never really prayed with that experience. So I was praying there, and the scenes of my stroke alternated with the scenes of Jesus' passion and death. And it was almost like watching a movie. And my moments of loneliness um, and fear there in the hospital alternated with Jesus' moments of loneliness and fear. I cried quietly, 17 years worth of tears, and I really felt God embracing me tightly 
just as he had Jesus in that other prayer saying, don't be afraid even of this. I am holding you tightly and nothing can hurt you. And these tears really began a process of healing. It was like a miracle of God's love for me. And it was, it was, it was beautiful because just as I had sat at the foot of the cross and had decided to stay there when everybody else left, and I was not going to leave Jesus alone, I had this sense of Jesus, I'm starting to cry, Jesus sitting at the foot of my hospital bed on the ground at the corner where the door is sitting there I will not leave you alone I am going to keep you company just as you kept me company and as I stayed there at that moment with him keeping me company all the lonely years of struggle of my life began to be somehow healed and um it was this amazing experience of it, of the peace of God coming into what had been for so many years a painful experience. Um, and I really felt that I was healed. I was not cured. Right. I still had and still have temporal lobe epilepsy. But I began to see at that moment that I had been keeping myself at a sufficient distance from God because I wanted to make sure he didn't do it to me again. You know, I was trying to build my own life without him. I was afraid of him and I was staying away because it was safer not to be too near a God who could do that to me again. But God had nevertheless waited for the right moment to enter once again into my life and to turn me toward him. And it wasn't a book I read. It wasn't like, you really should be doing this, or this is the right thing to do. It was an experience of prayer, simple words from a spiritual director, an image. And through all of that, I had this really beautiful experience, not of physical healing, but of spiritual and emotional healing that God gave me. Well, that's such a beautiful story, sister, and it really does underline, for me at least, this whole sense of God isn't going to leave us. Even mm-hmm. if we feel like it, even if we turn away, that God isn't going to mm-hmm. leave us. Um, God never promised that we'd live free from suffering, that mm-hmm. nothing bad would happen, that mm-hmm. the world will be fair, that life will be good. Mm-hmm. Those aren't the promises that he gave us, but he mm-hmm. said he'd be with us. Everyone, I think, knows that um, that, saint, that that little poem called Footsteps, mm-hmm. um, where someone looks back and they see um, their life as footsteps on a beach, and they mm-hmm. see themselves walking alongside God, and then... At the end of their life, they said, but wait, here I was going alone. There are only one set of footsteps. And it was in the darkest part of their life. And it was in the darkest part yes. of their life. And God said, yeah, that's where I was carrying you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there are just so many ways that I've seen that happen mm-hmm. and, and work in people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, the terrible things can happen 
but Jesus is going to be there next to us or at the foot of the bed, as you said, mm-hmm. um, that, that he is not going to abandon us in many ways, a similar way to where Mary didn't abandon him, that mm-hmm. she and the other women um, and St. John were there. They waited. They mm-hmm. watched. And God's doing that for us even when we don't notice mm-hmm. it, when we don't. Um, when we're not open enough or able enough to see it. And in the spirit of our Marian lens, Mary's doing that. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I have a friend who um, throughout her life has struggled with depression. Um, It stems from her having been abused as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, She spent a lot of years working through that, both with a therapist and with a spiritual director. And mm-hmm. and she said through the spiritual direction, she was able to say to God, where were you? Where have you been all this time? Where were you when I was being abused? Where were you when I was crying? Mm-hmm. And the answer that she got back um, through through prayer and through and through just feeling it was Jesus saying, I was there crying, too, mm-hmm. right next to you mm-hmm. crying. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's really. I mean, your your story perfectly illustrates that. But mm-hmm. that that our the the mystery of our life is that there is going to be sorrow and suffering and pain. Um, mm-hmm. But the promise of our life is that we're not going to be alone in it. Mm-hmm. I'd like to also talk about another way Jesus enters into our life, and I'd like to talk about the sacrament of reconciliation. I think for those who are suffering with depression, that sacrament especially can be difficult Mm -hmm. um, because there's already so many things that are out of control, confusing, unexplainable (laughs) in our own life that affects the way we think, our behavior, uh, the way we relate to others. All those things that could be listed as impatience, uncaring, uh, whatever that may be, when in reality those things are part of the suffering that comes along with depression. How do you sift out everything that's happening in such a way that you can really meet Jesus in a sacrament of healing, in a healing manner? And I just want to share some of the things that I have learned because, because I really believe the psychological complexity, the overbearing sadness, the frustration, the guilt, the sense of loss that accompany depression, um, emotional vulnerability and disorders and anxiety can really skew uh, our vision of who we are and how we can most truly live our baptismal dignity. So... An example is we can mistake severe depression for loss of faith. And I've heard this so many times. Mm -hmm. Or they have an anxiety disorder. I've lost faith. And therefore, you can go to confession and and say that as your sin. I've lost faith. Without a context, you know, without almost a relationship with a priest that you who knows you who in a certain sense walks with you in this capacity of the sacrament of reconciliation and of healing all of that can become more and more skewed your understanding of um, what God wants of you what God thinks of you your image of God 
what's expected of you, what's really good behavior and what really is is sinful, all of that can just become so distorted. Um, so just a few quick pieces of advice. Um, find a priest that you can trust. Sit down and have, you know, a brief but uh, informational conversation with him um, so that he understands kind of where you're coming from, what you're dealing with. Um, for example, if uh, your medication makes you really agitated um, so that you really find yourself being more impatient with family members and with the people with whom you work, um, it may not be possible for you to be really calm and really patient with people. That may not be the goal here. The goal may actually be every time you notice you're impatient, the goal may really be say, hey Jesus, it's just me. I'm trying the best I can. I trust in you completely and I know you're helping me. Amen. That may be, that act of prayer, trust, and faith, that may be the habit, the virtue that you want to begin to create in that type of a situation rather than saying, I was impatient with my family again. Right. And that's how the sacrament of reconciliation becomes this path this pathway that leads to healing, to wholeness, and to holiness, and to a relationship with God that is true, real, and so profound, and so amazing, that it will surprise you in the end as you look back on that path and realize how your life and your soul is more and more knitted together with the heart of God through this process. So those are just just a few very quick um, just thoughts in there. So that working together with with a priest in the sacrament of reconciliation, along with if it's necessary a therapist or a counselor, through your personal issues, you can really find this path of gentle healing um, in your life. Exactly, and and I really do think that. This whole this whole sacrament of reconciliation is so well named um, that I remember as a child, and I'm sure some of our listeners do, um, when it was going to confession, and you had mm-hmm. a list. And oh, you went yeah. there with a list. You recited your list, and you were told what to do about it, which is uh-huh. mostly you know say some prayers, do some things. Okay, good. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for years, I thought that's what it was about. It was mm-hmm. just about lists. And the fact that we've come to an understanding now that this is a way of deepening your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, restoring your relationship restoring with the community. Your relationship. Yeah. And you're reconciling even your relationship, in this case, with yourself. Exactly. exactly. When, you, when you can realize, I am not a bad person right. because my behavior has been uh, affected by my treatment. I am not a bad person, you know, and you learn and develop virtuous ways of living even in the midst of that um, difficulty. Um, It's just so beautiful. It's really reconciling. I love how the church gives us this opportunity to Mm -hmm. ask for help because many times it's very difficult to take the first step and go to a therapist, for example, Mm -hmm. to go to a doctor, 
um, to confront what may be going on, but to have this person who hopefully is part of your life in some way to keep going to the same priest, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to have that presence that is there to support you mm-hmm. um, can open so many doors. Mm-hmm. And you want to look for a priest who has who has enough uh, understanding and appreciation for the complexity of life. Right. That's what you want because your confession doesn't depend upon, your absolution doesn't depend upon the advice of the priest. Right. We all know that. However, that conversation can be very helpful. And can be very important to your heart. And very important to your heart and to your life. So you want to look for someone who has an appreciation for the complexity of life, who's lived through enough of the complexity of life that they understand and that they can give you wise insight into your journey. That's right, wise insight into your journey. Well said, yes. So I'd like to end, bring this series of podcasts to a close by talking about a saint. It's not a saint that many people know about. Um, It's Benedict Joseph Labre. I believe when we look at his life that we we see more deeply how the sufferings that we embrace with God often take on some of God's immensity, some of the mystery of God. They're not just a psychological illness, uh, the fruit of a trauma. They take on God's mystery. Benedict Joseph Labre He ended up making the world his cloister when he was repeatedly told that he did not have a religious vocation. I think he tried three times to to enter a monastery, and he wasn't able to stay. And that was because he was scrupulous. You know, he was a scrupulous person. His life's dream was to be in the monastery, to be a monk. And that life's dream was dashed. Instead, then, he began a slow, lifelong pilgrimage that was marked by scrupulosity and mystical prayer, ridicule from people around him, and acts of charity. Um, He was homeless, and they actually have his passport. He went to from shrine to shrine around all the countries of Europe, and they have his passport to prove it. In his prayer, people found him, you know, levitating. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, in mystical prayer, children would laugh at him and throw stones. He would share the bread that he received from others with other people. He was homeless. It was only just before his death, like two weeks, I believe, that he became free of scruples and depression. So, like Benedict, you may know only this anguished struggle. You may feel useless in comparison to your former abilities and the dream of your life you wanted to achieve. It does not matter. Christ is creating a sculpture of your life. He's using the illnesses of your body and the sufferings of your mind to chisel the richest details of this sculpture, which is his. While depression affects your dreams and your lifestyle, the intensity of your spirit's yearning 
transforms the darkness into life within you. For most of us, depression is an ongoing illness or reality. It shows up in different ways. It's anxiety, confused thinking, exhaustion, anger, listlessness. How does one live with this intruder upsetting our life when least expected? Routines and rhythms can lull us into feeling that things are in control, that the worst is over, that smooth sailing lies ahead, and then it reappears. There it is again, taking on some previously unexperienced form. Our thoughts and feelings are, in the words of Martin Laird, a patchwork quilt making up our personality. What we are able to comprehend about ourselves, however, in these thoughts and feelings is not our deepest reality. Beyond our thinking and feeling, there is grace. There is the inseparable unity, as we said, between God and ourselves that makes us and remakes us over and over good. The grace of salvation, it does not depend on our emotional stability. Our rambling thoughts and our emotional upheavals deceive us. They, they generate this illusion that we are separate from God. But beyond our thoughts, God's activity within and for us powerfully is transforming us. So as we've seen through all of these glimpses of Mary's life, of these looking at depression and, and mood disorders, at these, um, this whole series of really going deeper into thinking about darkness and light, how to keep singing in the darkness, how to find the light. Um, I think that I'm speaking for both of us when I say we're really glad that you joined us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that you have one closing thought for us, Sister Catherine. Yes. And as you listen to this, hear these words from God to you. Be gentle with yourself. Your responsibilities may be many. Your workload heavy. Family matters may weigh on you but to be gentle with yourself. Give all your cares to me, and I will care for you. Seek first my kingdom, my peace and patience, my meekness and poverty, and all else will be given you besides. I am holding you in my hand, protecting you from the cruelties you could sometimes meet. I understand what it means to suffer and to survive depression. I know it is a daily struggle and a moment-by-moment survival. I am here so that you can start again each day and each moment. You can trust that. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad you're here. Know that you're in our prayers. And God bless you all. We'll see you again. God bless. Bye-bye. God has amazing ways of knocking on people's hearts, awakening desires, arousing questions, provoking an unexpected spiritual fire. 
Remember, if you'd like some extra support and are ready to embark on a sustained spiritual journey, you can connect with me in a number of ways by going to my website, touchingthesunrise.com. So until the next time, take care of yourself. And remember that you are not alone. You are loved no matter what. And when you search within yourself, you will not only find yourself, but the throne of the Divine Trinity. You have a calling, a mission, and every gift, every grace, every moment, even every fall, mistake, and sin is a step toward your completely and wholly being taken up into the mystery of God's love for you and for all creation. Remember always that you have a treasure of inexpressible joy hidden in an earthen vessel, small and fragile. May this overflowing joy fill you and yours with its fragrance. God be with you. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Have you ever been put on the spot and asked to explain or defend Catholic teaching on sensitive topics such as abortion, same-sex marriage, or the Eucharist? What to Say and How to Say It is a straightforward and practical resource by Brandon Vogt, best-selling and award-winning author of Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. He offers essential tools for articulating even the most contentious aspects of your Catholic faith with clarity and confidence. You can get a copy of this important new book at AveMariaPress.com. Use code TALKFAITH to get 25% off your copy today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small-batch artisan coffee using top-tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees, available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Media. Experience coffee like never before.